Good morning, Father's House. It's so good to be here. It still feels new. Uh, this is only our third Sunday being back in the house. Uh, I can't see because Carrie's engagement ring is blinding me. <laughs> Blinded by the light. <laughs> Congratulations. It's worth the wait, isn't it, Carrie? Yes, indeed. The best is worth the wait. Anyway, it's so good to be here. So grateful for the opportunity. Thankful for Pastor Pierre and Pastor Marlies for this opportunity. And we pray a blessing on them. I'm just going to jump into my message. So about a month into uh, my marriage with Marvin, Mar Marvin's my husband. He's over here wondering what I'm going to say, holding his breath. <laughs> About a month into our marriage, on a Saturday afternoon, he said to me, I'm going to go get coffee. And I said, oh, great. Let me get my stuff. I'll come with you. And he said, I don't want you to come with me. I'm like, wait, what? I'm, I'm trying to be a big girl. You know, okay, okay, fine. Now, keep in mind that a couple of days before this, I asked him, so what are you reading in your quiet time these days? And he said, Job. I'm like, who reads Job the first month of your marriage? Like, do we already need marriage counseling? <laughs> so anyway, I, I asked him, you know, why don't you want me to go with you? And he said, well, I just kind of need some time alone. I was like, okay. You know, like I said, tried to be a big girl. And, and I've discovered through the years that Marvin often craves times like this, time to be alone. And I think most creative people do. It's just time with no agenda to think. He's got about a roll, row full of moleskin journals on his, in, in his bookshelf, and it's just over the years the thoughts that have come. And I guess he's kind of rubbed off on me because now I crave these alone times too. And the truth is, all of us need these times. And for some of us, for some of us, it's, I'm going to talk about phones. <laughs> that was a great prop. Um, for some of us, alone time is like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's like there is a God in heaven. I have some time alone. It's like the thing that we want. And if it's not built into our day, we feel off. But for other people, time alone is like stopping a moving train. Like, I don't want to be alone. What am I going to do if I'm alone? You know, let me take out my phone. I just can't handle to be alone. But the reality is our souls need to be alone. Our souls need solitude. Our bodies need food and water and oxygen and exercise and rest, but our souls need solitude. John Ortberg is a author and he wrote a book called Soul Keeping. And I've asked for the um, cover of that book to be put on the screen so that you could see it because I wanna emphasize this book because it would be a great book and be a great spring or summer reading. And in this book, he uses a parable to explain what the soul is and what the soul needs. And he uses a parable, and I'm going to summarize that parable for you right now. The parable is this. So imagine in the Swiss Alps a beautiful 
tranquil village. And running through the village is a crystal clear stream. It is just unpolluted. There are swans swimming on the surface and trout swimming below the surface and kids like to come and gather by the stream. And it, the stream is just this babbling, crystal clear uh, source of life to the village. And at the mouth of the stream, there's somebody called a stream keeper. And he's an old man who was hired by the village and his job is just to pluck out the leaves and the sticks and maybe if paper floats in the pollution, he, his job is to pluck out anything that would stop the flow of the stream. Well, one day the village elders decided they can no longer afford to hire, to pay the stream keeper, so they fired him. And it didn't take very long before leaves and sticks and paper and pollution began to gather in the mouth of the stream and it began to impede the flow of the stream. So the stream became stagnant. It was all gunked up. It became a breeding ground for mosquitoes. And, and you know, within a very short period of time, kids didn't want to play there. And there was a kind of a foul smell that developed because the stream was so stagnant. And the very heart of the village, the thing that had brought so much life and so much joy to the village, no longer brought life and no longer brought joy to the village. And so the village elders realized that they had made a mistake, that above all else, they needed to invest in the stream keeper. And they hired him back, and he plucked all the skunk out that had collected, and very soon again, the stream was flowing and beautiful and clear. In this parable, the stream is your soul. And the stream keeper is you. And if we don't invest time in keeping our streams clear and keeping our souls clear, that source of life will be cut off and it will wreak havoc in our lives. So what exactly is our soul? It's a nice word we'd like to think about it. What's, it, what's our soul? I like to think of our soul as our spirit, I mean, sorry, our mind, our emotions, and our will. Our mind, our emotions, and our will. And these three things are braided together. They're integrated to sort of function as a machine in our life, synchronized together. No one more than the other. You know, in the West, you know, during the Renaissance and the age of reason, it, it, they sort of believed that the mind was supposed to be higher than the emotions. But I don't see that in Scripture. In Scripture, I see a God who is as emotional as he is thoughtful. And so in, in, in the perfect, the way that this machine is supposed to function, these three are balanced and they're braided together and they are integrated but if we fail to keep our stream, if we fail to keep our soul, those three things will become disintegrated. They will fall apart 
and they will begin to wreak havoc in our lives. In my life, the sign of disintegration is, first of all, my emotions become chaotic. Happened right the other day as I sat in a puddle of tears at the kitchen table. <laughs> my emotions become chaotic. I'm sad and I don't know why. I'm anxious and I can't put my finger on exactly why. I'm fearful and I don't know exactly why. My emotions are chaotic. And then my mind, well, my mind is like this thing, this, this place of negativity and cynicism and pessimism. And, I, and I'm thinking about worst case scenarios and I'm, and I'm running through worst case scenarios in my mind and I'm critical and I'm not giving people the benefit of the doubt anymore. And it becomes this place, chaotic place of negativity. And then my will I become incapable of making even the simplest choices. Even the simplest decisions make me feel insecure and worried that I'm going to get it wrong and there's no clarity, there's only confusion, there's only chaos. These are the signs in my life that my soul has become disintegrated. And you might have different signs, you probably do, but all of us have telltale signs when our stream, when our souls are no longer running crystal clear and smooth, but they've become full of gunk and they're disintegrated. And so what's the answer? What does that look like? What is the stream keeper? What is a soul keeper supposed to do? Well, a lot of things, but I'm going to talk about one thing today. One of the most important ways that we keep our stream is through solitude. Solitude. The very thing Marvin was craving that Saturday afternoon. Solitude. And there's two different kinds of solitude. The first kind of solitude is when we specifically decide to spend time with the Lord. These times have to be built into the rhythm of our lives or they will never come. There will always be something that eats up that time. It has to be time, whether it's the morning or the afternoon or the evening, where we specifically decide that this is time to be with the Lord. And for me, it's, it's in my office, in my chair, my door is shut. Do not bother me unless the house is burning down. And in these moments, my mind is meditating on scripture. I'm feeding on God's faithfulness. I'm becoming secure again in the saving grace of the Savior. My soul comes together. It becomes integrated again. My mind becomes sharp and my emotions are no longer chaotic and I'm able to make good decisions without laboring over them and without feeling insecure. In those moments, it's like when David said in Psalm 23, God lays me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
in those moments, he restores my soul. We have to have those times. But another kind of solitude is time that's not specifically quiet time with the Lord. It's just quiet time so that our minds and our hearts can breathe, kind of like that dot in the trailer. It's times when perhaps we're walking and we leave the earbuds behind and we're not listening to a podcast, unless it's my podcast. You should always listen to my podcast. <laughs> no, no. Times where we take a walk and we leave behind the earbuds. You know, there's times where my mind feels like an overstuffed file. You know that? You've ever seen that? When you're trying to file and you just can't stuff anything more in because it's overstuffed and the drawer just doesn't even shut anymore. There's times where my mind is like that and I just sense this is not a moment to stuff another file in, to stuff more information in, even if it's good information. This is a time to begin to weed out the files. So there are times when we, we leave the earbuds behind and we leave that noise behind and we're just walking and noticing that the world is becoming green again, that that tree is blossoming again. It's time just to notice nature. It's, perhaps it's time in our cars where we don't listen to music or we're waiting in the doctor's office for an appointment and we don't flip through our phones while we're waiting for our turn to come, or we're waiting for a Zoom meeting to start and we don't start reading our emails. It's just a quiet moment where thoughts can come and our minds and our hearts can breathe. Nothing in our culture makes this easy. It is so easy to be plugged in all the time. It's so easy in those moments to flip through social media and be like, how many likes have I gotten on my picture? Oh, wow, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he posted that. Oh, they're in Florida? I want to I be in Florida. Oh, wow, what a nice house to meet they have. I think it's time that we better pay in our house because our house is looking a little cruddy. And, and, and Slack is pinging, and WhatsApp is pinging, and email is pinging, and text is pinging, and, and social media is pinging, and we could live our whole lives being jerked around by pinging. If we're not careful, these little computers in our pockets, which are more powerful than the computer that sent a man to the moon, these little computers in our pockets could become like the blob you know the old movie where the blob sort of, yeah, okay. <laughs> Some people know. You know, the blob is sort of moving through town, consuming everything in its wake, and that's what digital noise could be. It could be like the blob, consuming every single moment of our day. And so a key job of the streamkeeper is to choose to unplug. 
And in this, in this moment, I could talk about detoxing, times that we detox. But I actually don't like the concept of the detox. Because here's what detox says to me. I'm going to detox from sugar, and I'm not going to eat sugar for a month. And so you, you get through a month without sugar, and then you go right back to eating as much sugar, if not more, than you were before. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop eating carbs for six weeks. I'm going I'm to be no carb free. I'm going to be carb free. And once that six weeks is done, you go back to consuming just as many carbs as you were before. You know, in, in, uh, my husband told me the story, but that in London, uh, um, on Friday nights, young professionals have this thing, well, pre-COVID anyway, have this thing where you go pub crawling. And it's every Friday night to celebrate the end of the work week, you go from pub to pub to pub and drink and drink and drink and drink. And then the time comes where they sort of feel bad and guilty that they've wasted so much time and ruin so many brain cells on pub, pub crawling that they sort of take a break for a month and then they go right back to pub crawling. And I am not a medical person, but I am sure that month off did absolutely nothing to repair their liver or their brain cells. So I, rather than thinking about detox, rather than thinking about let's see if we could go without this for a week, I so much prefer lifestyle changes. Changes that we can make in our lives that will last our entire lives. Some of us have realized that we have to make lifestyle changes in the way we eat. Unless you've hit the genetic lottery, you've realized you have to make lifestyle changes in exercise. Well, we have to make lifestyle changes in keeping our souls and in choosing not to let digital noise consume our lives. And I'm going to talk about three lifestyle changes that we have made. And these are not meant to be prescriptive like we do them, therefore you should do them. It's more meant to get the juices flowing where you're thinking, what would work for me? Just like you do with exercise. Like, I can't run, but I could go to the gym. It's just what works for you because you have to find something. It's part of what is keeping your soul. The first thing is refuse to be available to everyone all the time. Refuse to be available all the time. No boss pays you enough to own you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. No boss, no job is worth that. When my boys were little, we were packing up to go on vacation. I warned my husband that he was in this sermon a lot. He's in it again. We were packing up to go on vacation, and we didn't have smartphones yet. It was probably eight years ago. We were very slow to get smartphones, had flip phones. Anyway, and he starts to pack up his laptop. And I said, why are you packing up your laptop? It's vacation. 
And he said, well, I just want to keep in you know, touch with my lab. He's a professor. He has a lab. Just want to keep in touch with my lab. Just want to make sure email doesn't back up. You know, I just want to stay connected. And I said, you're not that important. <laughs> just come to me for marriage advice. Yeah. And so we tussled about that for a little bit, and I finally won. And he left the laptop behind. Yes. <laughs> now, when we got, we had a great vacation. When we got back from vacation and he starts to sort through the email, early on, like let's say Monday, there was an email from one of the students in his lab. Uh, Professor Doyley, um, we think we, we, we broke this piece of equipment, which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. We think we broke, broke this piece of commitment. Could you please call as soon as you could get this? And then maybe about three days after that, like let's say on Thursday, there's another email that says, oh, Professor Doily, it's not broken. We figured out what the problem was. You don't have to call. And I said, I told you so. If he had read that first email, it would have destroyed days of our vacation because all of a sudden he would have been distracted, he would have not been present, he would have been worried, do I call, do I not call, blah, 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 blah. Refuse to be available to everyone all the time. The world will keep running without you. I, it really will. <laughs> the second thing, suggestion, is consider dumbing down your phone. It sounds crazy, right? We spend all this money for a smartphone and then we make it stupid. <laughs> consider dumbing down your phone. Consider taking email off. Consider taking social media off. Consi consider taking games off so that those moments when you are waiting for a meeting to start or you're waiting for the doctor, it's just quiet. Your brain is quiet. You're taking a file out instead of stuffing another file in. And the third thing is we have certain family rules, and I would recommend for that, that you have family rules if you have, if you have children. And one of our family rules is that we have no devices at the dinner table, and we don't jump up to check a device that buzzes or rings while we're at the dinner table. It's a sacred moment. It's one of the good things about COVID. People are eating together again. <laughs> it's a sacred moment. It's just 30 or 40 minutes where we're just talking. And no one is allowed in that space. The second thing is we have this rule with our, our sons, which they just love which is no devices in the car, unless we're going for a long, you know, hours and hours driving on vacation. But if we're just coming to church, if we're just going to the lake, if we're just going someplace, you don't need a device. I've never wanted it that I have teenagers sitting in the back seat scrolling through a phone, totally shut off to the family. And so when I first said this, they looked at me like, well, then what are we gonna do? And I was like, well, you can look out the window and count red cars. That's what I used to do. <laughs> it's 
see if there are any fascinating license plates. <laughs> and the third thing, the third family rule that we have is that we don't allow our boys and ourselves, but we don't allow our, our boys to do screens right up until the moment of bedtime where they're doing Xbox or whatever right up into the moment. We have something called quiet time in your room. And all the devices go to sleep and they go to their rooms and it's time to read. It's time to learn to be alone. It's time to build that discipline of solitude into their lives while they're young so that hopefully it will carry through their lives that they know how to be alone, not texting a friend, not looking at a screen, just reading and thinking and being alone before they go to sleep. And like I said, this is not meant to be prescriptive. God will show you what to do. It's just ideas. I'm going to tell a story before I close. So in the beginning of the year, in January, after 2020, which was so awesome, uh, January did not start out so well either. Uh, I had gotten into the habit of listening to the news first thing in the morning, last thing at night, just becoming kind of a news junkie. And... When the insurrection happened at the Capitol on January 6th, I became even more of a news junkie. And I was filling my head with all of this news and all of these images. And the inside of my brain was like, you know when you give a two-year-old a wooden spoon and you let them bang on the pans in the kitchen? That's what the inside of my head was like. My soul was completely disintegrated. There was no peace. There was confusion. There was chaotic emotions. Every bad thing. And in the midst of that, a friend of mine sent me a sermon based on Psalm 29. And I listened to the sermon, and afterwards I read Psalm 29 for myself. And I would like to read to you portions of Psalm 29. I don't want you to read it out loud. I just want you to follow along on the screen, but just listen to my voice as I read bits of this psalm. The voice of the Lord echoes through the skies and seas. The God glory reigns as he thunders in the clouds. So powerful is his voice, so brilliant and bright. How majestic as he thunders over the great waters. Now he moves Zion's mountains by the might of his voice, shaking the snowy peaks with his ear-splitting sound. The lightning fire flashes, striking as he speaks. God reveals himself when he makes the fault lines quake, shaking deserts, speaking his voice. His mighty voice makes the deer to give birth. His thunderbolt voice lays the forest bare. This is the one who gives his strength and might to his people. This is the Lord giving us his kiss 
of peace. See, I had I realized when I read that that every other voice was in my head except God's voice. And that's what had caused my soul to disintegrate. And as I took the time to read this and to listen to God's voice, those other voices, those other voices quieted. God's voice became louder. And in that moment, he led me besides green, laid me down in green pastures and led me beside quiet waters. And he restored my soul. That's what God's voice does. God's voice is gentle enough to cause a deer to give birth and it's mighty enough to bring order out of the chaos that we're surrounded by his voice is so much bigger than all of that his voice is so much bigger than CNN and MSNBC and Fox News his voice is above all of that and we've got to spend time where nothing is pinging and nothing is demanding our attention so that we can hear that voice. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we serve a God, that you love us, and yet you're so mighty. You sit above it all. You hold the nations in the palm of your hand, including this nation. Lord, we pray that you would help us to always to figure out how to unplug and how to have times of listening for your voice added to the rhythm of our day. We pray that we would no longer be consumed and controlled by pinging, but that you would still and quiet our souls like a weaned child with his mother. In Jesus' name, amen.